G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and, well, we're about to finish Pastor Jeff's final message in his series, Hey Up There. There's a lot we can glean from Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. If you've missed any messages so far, you can always find them wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. As we continue, Pastor Jeff is speaking about what Jesus says at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He reminds us that not everyone who says they know him will join him in eternity. Let's finish it off now. Here's Pastor Jeff. Now, I've got so much to say because you come to this last section of the two roads. What's going on? What is Jesus really trying to communicate when he says that one is spacious and leads to narrowness while the other is narrow and leads to spaciousness? And what Jesus is saying is the gospel looks narrow on the outside, but when you get inside, it's incredibly spacious. I don't know if you read the last of the seven chronicles of Narnia, but there's a place in the last of the seven chronicles where good King Turin is in a terrible, terrible battle, and he comes to a stable on a hill, a tiny little stable door, And he has reasons to believe that when he goes in there, he's going to die. But then when he enters the door, he gets through on the other side and suddenly he looks around and he sees huge, huge spaciousness and forests, mountains and lakes and waterfalls and a huge blue sky. And then he looks around and he says this, it seems, it seems that the stable as seen from without and the stable seen from within are two different places. Yes, a voice said, Its inside is bigger than its outside. That is the gospel. The gospel looks narrow because you think to yourself, listen, if I go down that hole, if I go down that hole, it's going to be small and narrow and it's going to choke the life out of me. But in reality, once you go through the door on the other side, there is so much space. Now, in what way is the gospel narrow? Please listen. 
Let's go back. This is what I warned you about. And man, you've got to get this. When we first did the summary, I told you that Jesus started this sermon with blessed are the poor in spirit. And what does that mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit means blessed are the humble. Blessed are the humble. And being humble means that you know that even the good things you've done in your life had bad motivations most of the time. That oftentimes when you stop to help a homeless person, it's not because you are showing mercy. It's because you realize, you know, I haven't done anything nice in a long time. I better get the, sta- I better get the scale back up. I got a lot more bad happening. I better do some good things. But Jesus comes along and starts the whole sermon by saying, your, your thinking's all wrong. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now concentrate, please. Everybody in the world except Christians, everybody, if they suddenly were to die and appear before God, we said they'd say, hey, God, I've done some good things and I've done some bad things. I've done a lot of good things. I've worked hard and made sacrifices. I've helped people. I was good to my father and my mother and even my mother-in-law. There's a lot of things I've done good, a lot of things I've done bad, but I should be okay. And what they're really saying there, what? Is I've got some money in the bank, spiritually speaking. I have some, you know, I'm not totally destitute. I've, I've got some debts, yes, that's true too. Maybe a lot of debts, but I've done a lot of good things too. So yes, I do need to be forgiven some, Jesus, but I have a lot of assets too. Most people reason this way. I see this happen all the time. I'm going to say something and I want you to take it well from me, okay? Know my heart. If, especially if you come from a Catholic background. Especially if you come from a Catholic background. You've got to watch this. Because coming from a Catholic background, you've got a lot of good works in you. You've got this mindset in you that the important thing is not a relationship but it's you doing the good things and following the law. And so that becomes your identity and it becomes your sense of significance. But the the Christ follower knows that they have absolutely no money in the bank, that they've got nothing. They're completely and utterly bankrupt. And you can try to do the good all you want, and I'm glad you're doing the good, but you're doing it not out of controlling God and your salvation. You're doing it, you're grateful for the fact that he's offered salvation in a free gift. And when you say that you have no money in the bank, that you're totally destitute, that you are poor in spirit, this whole sermon started with Jesus trying to show you that this is not an economic statement to be poor in spirit, but it's a metaphor of spiritual bankruptcy. That it means to actually believe that the only way into the kingdom is through a very low door. That you have no collateral, no backup funds. There's nothing you can do. You are bankrupt of spirit. Nothing you can have, nothing you can bring to be recommended unto God. You have no resume whatsoever. Your only hope is mercy and grace. Now here's the thing. Most people hear that and here's what they say. I can't go down that hole. I can't go down that hole. Why? 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 because you can't control it then. You're dependent totally on somebody else for your eternal security. And we don't want to do that. And so people will say, man, I just, I'm just going to, no, don't, I don't want to hear this. La, 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 la. I'm not listening. Pastor Jeff, don't tell me that because this is who I am. Because most, every other philosophical system, every other religion basically finds their security for eternity 
in how honest they are, how in how much integrity they have, their faithfulness to their wife or husband, their loyalty to their children, how they give to the poor, how they protect the community, how they read the Bible, how they have daily devotions, how they serve others, how they support a child in Africa. These are the things that they remind themselves of when they doubt their eternal security. And Jesus says, I never knew you. I don't know you. Because if, if, if you talk to a person, you, you, if you take away that from them, they'll say, I got nothing. But to the Christ follower, they say, I got nothing but Jesus. Ah, but with Jesus, I got everything. That's why in Hebrews 10, it says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Your holiness is not dependent on you, it's on, on Christ, once and for all. Narrow going in, spacious coming out. Leave everything behind when you enter this door, but on the other side are riches evermore. Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Everything you need, you find in Christ. Well, stay with me. This, we're coming to the end now. Jesus says, when you come to this one door, it looks real small. It looks like it's going to crush you. And the reason it's so small, you can't bring anything with you. It's going to crush your identity. Those things you're putting your confidence in, for your security, you can't bring them. And that hurts because you're going to start thinking about all the good you've done. Hey, I'm a worship leader. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm a Sunday school teacher. <laughs> you got to let all that go. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to your cross I'll cling. So he's going to squeeze you through this tiny little door and this spacious life is on the other side, the one you've been looking for. Now, let's finish the sermon by asking, what is this spaciousness? What are you talking about? You know what it means? It means walking at large where there's no place you're scared of. Walking at large in the open air and you're not scared of anything. So can I end this by sharing my testimony? Because it'll help you understand that it happens to everyone. I grew up in a home where I learned very soon that if you perform well, you get praised. I was the only athlete in my family, and as a basketball player, my mom and my dad constantly praised me. They were at every game I ever played, and very early in my life, I fell into what we call a performance trap. We all hunger for praise and words of affirmation, and we start in our lives very early doing whatever it is that's gonna gain us that. I went to a legalistic church where I really believed that if I did bad things, my name could be erased from the book of life at any moment. My prayers were very narcissistic as a young person. It's okay to start out that way. You're just supposed to grow up. And so when I would pray to God in the locker room before a basketball game to help me, I just wanted God to help me look good so that I could get the praise from my parents and my community. And then that kind of attitude went with me into Bible college and even seminary. So that I went to Africa originally, and I'm just being honest, not because I love the people, because I fell in love with the romance of going to Africa and serving as a missionary. And I knew that would get praise. And it did. And I ended up in New Zealand. And all my friends said, don't go to New Zealand because, man, it's a difficult country. And the more they talked, the more I saw it as a challenge. 
And I thought, man, I'm going to go plant this church and it's going to be so good. And people are going to say, look what Jeff Vines did. Does it bother you when pastors are this honest? I hope not. I hope not. Do you know they say that the greatest depression among our universities is in the Ivy League schools? And the reason is, is most of these kids come from a town or school where they are adored because they're the smartest person in the class. And they say to themselves, you know, I'm not athletic, I'm not talented enough to play an instrument, and I'm not that attractive, but man, I'm the smartest one, baby. And then they go to Harvard, and they realize they're average. And they have what counselors call a self-quake. Because all of their identity was based on how smart they were. And now they know they're not as smart as they thought they were. And if you place that type of security on something that is shakable, your life is shakable. And so I go to New Zealand and I work hard. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Jesus, but I'm going back and forth. Then end up in Savannah as a teaching pastor. And now I'm teaching eight, 900 people every Wednesday night. And although I would never say it, I lived and died by the praise of people. Just like you do. Always trying to save myself. Always trying to prove I can do this. And that's why I've said to you that pastors fight for significance just like everybody else. And if they're not careful, they'll start building their own kingdom. And they'll base their acceptance and significance on how big their church is and how, how many people are getting saved. Less and less, we pastors are going into ministry for a different reason than people like my father-in-law did. The old generation went into it. They truly loved people. They truly believed the gospel could set you free. But with this mass marketing mega church thing, now we have pastors going into ministry because they want to be noticed. And when you go into ministry to be noticed, it is a horrible, horrible life because at one point you're going to wake up and realize you're just average. And when that happens, if you've placed your significance and security in your importance, you're either going to become suicidal or you're going to go down into the gutter because you're going to say to yourself, well, if I can never achieve that, I'm just going to do what I want to do anyway. So when a person's identity is in any other thing than Christ, their lives are shaky. Do you see what the analogy is now? Broad is the way. You go through that door, it leads to your death. But if you go down and you leave everything behind and you put your significance and security in Christ, even though you lose everything, you still have everything. And then I came here and took this job in 2008. And most of you know the story that within two weeks, I went into a deep state of depression, so much so that my father-in-law had to come out and talk me and walk me through it. And here's the reason why. Identity. I looked around, I thought, this church is so big, there's no way I can do this. There's no way I can preach five messages, six messages every weekend. There's no way I can lead something this size. And I was overwhelmed. And then God's grace came in and walked me through those first three years. And then you know what happened, right? The crash was inevitably coming, wasn't it? What was the crash? Anxiety disorder. And I got to the point where I couldn't even leave my house without spending 30 to 40 minutes with God. <clears throat> Why did I tell you that? God had to break me. 
And now that I've gone through the narrow door, oh man, there's so much space. So much space. The stress is gone because my significance isn't what you think about me. In fact, I really don't care. I say that in a night, but I don't. I live for an audience of one, God. God. I don't need those other things anymore because I've learned how futile they are. But the reality is I can't judge you young people because it takes a long time sometimes to go through that journey, so I'm here for you. And I'll just keep reminding you, you've got two ways of living. You go through the broad door that looks big, but it will choke you and kill you. Or you go through the narrow door where you leave everything behind and all you have is Jesus. Talk about wide open spaces. Now, I'm at the last page, but I need you to stay with me because this is where it kind of comes together. Let me tell you how spacious this side is. You have no guarantees in your life. None. Other than your salvation through Christ. You don't know if you're going to live and how long. You don't know if your children are going to walk with God, you don't, and there are zero guarantees. Zero. I've got a new granddaughter. I'm over the moon. She was in the hospital this past week. She had 101 temperature. I have no guarantees, and neither do you. And no amount of manipulating or doing the right thing will force God to do the things I want him to do. And do you know why? God is completely unpredictable. And that's what you learn when you go through the narrow door. That God will not be controlled. That he will not be boxed in. That he cannot be manipulated. But he can be counted on. He is faithful to forgive us our sins. To separate them as far as east is from the west. To work everything together for good. To never leave us or forsake us. To never allow anything to break up our relationship or separate us from his love. Your eternity is secure in Christ. And God says to us, what else do you want? You're part of a kingdom that's never ending. So now I'm on the other side of the door. There's just no fear. There's concern. I'll die. (laughs) But I'll go to heaven. And you have to go through a lot of valleys before you get through the low door. I'm just glad I learned it by the age of 53 because I don't know how long I'm going to live. It's going to be good though. It's going to be good. Do you know, I don't go home worrying about what somebody thinks of me anymore. I don't stay awake at night after an elders meeting because of an elders meeting. <laughs> I, it just kind of, it kind of slides right off. And I think, hey, God is large and in charge. Why waste time worrying or stressed out about my kids, about my grandkids? God is unpredictable. And I'm telling you that if you're going to come to him, you've got to come on his terms, not yours. And his terms demand that you go through a door that's low and you don't bring anything with you. But to get you to do that, you're usually going to have to suffer a little bit. And all those things that you think are your security and your significance, he's going to have to remove them one by one until you got nothing left except him. And only then will you walk 
and live large. I don't know if I did a good job with this passage. I don't know if I've helped you understand that not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is in this for the right reasons. That includes pastors. I pray that God would be as patient with other pastors as he has been with me. What a mess that I've made of my life at some points in What bad thinking I've had in ministry. I'm just thankful that God loved me enough to crush me so that I can be here now with you. And now it makes perfect sense that all the things that I've sought as a young man are only now becoming true because now God can trust me and you. I'm amazed at what God is doing in our church and this chasm we're about to cross, but I'm more convinced that God had to break me and he will have to break you. Can I ask you, can I just encourage you? Go down into the hole. Go down in there. It looks scary. It looks like you're going to be so restricted. It looks like you're going to be choked and pressured and squeezed. But if you go in there, on the other side, oh man, Is it nice? It's so nice. You can even fly in an airplane and not be afraid. (laughs) Those fears you used to have, you didn't realize it was because you had a fear of death ultimately. And when you lose the fear of death, you've got no idea what you'll do. You may even jump out of airplanes. You may even bungee jump off the Victoria Falls Bridge. I'm not sure what awaits. Go down into the hole. If you want to live, truly live. No guarantees now. But if you want to live, truly live, and have courage and live life, you've got to go down into the hole. For narrow is the way that leads to life. And only a few find it. Father, I thank you and praise you for the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, the greatest piece of literature. And yet every weekend that we've come together, we've just realized that what he tells us (laughs) is that we can't create God in our image, that God is unpredictable. But if we're willing to enter into relationship, he will never leave us or forsake us. Even in our darkest moments when we can't connect the dots, he can. That gives us freedom. Even in the tragedies of our lives, we can't possibly comprehend what's going on. He promises to connect the dots. That one day we will see him and our lives as they really are, which enables us to live in wide open spaces with freedom and trust that he's on the throne, man. Open our eyes. Give us the courage to go down into that hole, to leave these things behind that we'll never fulfill, to stop trusting in our goodness, and to receive Christ in order that we may be transformed 
that church takes on a different meaning is the place we go to worship and praise with our brothers, the kingdom that is coming. Serving takes on different meaning. We are serving our brothers and sisters because they were created in the image of God and God loves them, therefore we love them. And we pursue people who are far from God to come near because he left the 90 and 9 to go after the one and so will we. And rather than judge each other, we put our arms around each other and say, hey, you just need to grow. You need to grow. I'm here. You need to grow. And I pray for every young person in this room that somehow they won't have to go through the pain of learning the hard way that they'll make the decision now to go down into that hole. (laughs) On the other side is life evermore. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.